My name is Pastor Milo. It's so good to have you here with us this morning. If you're watching online, welcome to our 11 o'clock service. It's good to have you here this morning. Can you believe it's October? Like, that's, this happened quickly, right? October moved along, uh, well, it's moving along very quickly. We're four days in. And I know that because it's October the 4th, which is my mother's birthday. And so that's a date that I remember. I'm real specifically realized that today is the day. Mom, if you're watching at, on Facebook at home, uh, happy birthday. Uh, all of these people will say so as well. And so uh, happy birthday to my mom. Uh, my mom is a fighter. Uh, she went through a lot of difficult things uh, as a kid. Uh, her father died when she was young. Her brother died uh, when she was a teenager. And so she went through a lot of different things. Uh, but she's definitely a, a fighter. And, and uh, one of her birthdays, uh, as legend would have it, she was given a football uh, jersey and helmet for the Minnesota Vikings because she wanted to go out in the backyard and tackle and destroy all of the neighborhood boys. And so uh, it's, it's just, she's a, she's a fighter. There's no question about that. Uh, she got in a fight with her brothers. There was seven kids in the home, and so she got in a fight one morning before school with her brothers. Was so upset that she, as the bus came, she went out the door and slammed the door behind her, uh, knocked the door off of its hinges to the point that none of the other siblings could get out the door to go and get on the bus. And so for a family that had seven kids, uh, the fact that she got that morning to ride the bus in peace and quiet all alone uh, worked out pretty well for her uh, without question. Uh, we are in a battle, friends. Uh, we're in a battle. Uh, this week is probably one that kind of brings a lot of things to light, but you need to re be reminded that uh, we are in a battle, uh, and it is not with politicians. It's not the battle of politics that's happening. That's not the battle that I'm talking about. Uh, it's not the battle uh, with powerful people who are trying to take control or trying to uh, tell us we have to do some things or not do other things. That's not the battle that we are in. Uh, we are in a battle with a present darkness. Uh, we are in a battle with the enemy, the enemy that we read in Scripture that lurks in the darkness and prowls in the night. That's the battle that we are in, and we need to be reminded of that often. And even times uh, that battle comes uh, as an angel of light, uh, we are told that the devil uh, fights us in that way. And so this morning, as the sermon is titled, uh, that we're, not, we're trading politics, we're trading power grabs, and we're trading panic because really the idea of the enemy that we fight is a terrorist. Uh, makes us afraid of our own skin. Makes us afraid to make decisions. Makes us afraid uh, to go out in the community. Makes us afraid of our own shadow. This is what the enemy will do. And so we're trading all of those things this morning for peace. And we ask the question as we're looking at this series, uh, the, the world that we live in, the chaos that we're experiencing, the panic that seems to be all around us, uh, is this the new normal? Is this the way that we're supposed to live our lives? Are we just supposed to get used to this? How are we supposed to live? And we believe in God's Word. We believe that God's Word would actually have something to say about this. Don't you agree? Uh, that God's Word would actually have a way for us to respond to what we see, that, that we're not responding uh, perhaps in a correct way. We should expect that God's Word would lead us in that. So this morning, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're in this sermon series talking about the new normal. As we've talked in previous weeks, 
Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is written by Matthew, the tax collector. At least we believe that to be the case. He's one of uh, the apostles. He's one of the 12 who follow Christ around. And 30 to 40 years after Christ ascended uh, from this world, we start to get the written account from Matthew and then the other uh, Gospels as well that say realizing that they are getting at the end of their, their life here on earth that they need to document some things to make sure that just the oral tradition of, of talking about Jesus' life and ministry, uh, that it was going to be accurately carried on in written form. And so Matthew is, again, he's a tax collector. He's very thorough, very intense about how he goes through and is building an argument. And throughout the book of Matthew, the argument that he's building is that Jesus is the Messiah. The argument that he's building is that Jesus is like Moses. He is a teacher who can be well understood, and he is teaching us about the things of Scripture. And then most importantly, he teaches us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Matthew is teaching, but interestingly enough, that that as Matthew teaches this, he is using outside sources. He is citing all types of material outside of himself. For instance, the first chapter of Matthew opens up with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But if you look at this genealogy, it's different than any of the other ones that are documented because it includes women in the genealogy. And it includes not just women, but Gentile women. It includes different, uh, different types of people to be able to corroborate the story that Matthew is trying to communicate. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, in the Christmas narrative, we see the story of the Magi or the wise men, these Gentiles who are outside of the Jewish faith, corroborating the story that Matthew is teaching and talking about. Uh, Being able to identify Jesus Christ, the one who the stars would align to. These are like NASA scientists that they're coming in and they're going to be able to tell us, wait a minute, all these things are converging at once. You need to see, pay attention, that Jesus is a very important character. And then thirdly, in Matthew chapter 3, where we've been the last couple of weeks and we'll be again today, we get the story, uh, we get the, the account, the witness of John the Baptist. And why is John the Baptist so important? Well, John the Baptist is not one of the gospel writers. John the Baptist is, is a, a person who is uh, very specifically known to be the cousin of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he knows Jesus incredibly well. His birth is well documented. His relationship with Jesus is well documented as well. His character is also impeccable. Uh, you couldn't hold anything on him because he's already out in the middle of the desert. What are you going to take away his home and his livelihood from him? He's already uh, given up everything for the sake of, this, uh, of the preparing of the way as his mission is. Uh, but if you look at him as a credible source, you'll see that he takes on the religious rulers of the day. He, he combats them. He calls them broods of vipers. You see that John the Baptist also takes on the political rulers of the day. The reason why he ends up in jail and is ultimately beheaded is because he takes on the political rulers and says, you should not be marrying in this way. Uh, You also see him give instructions to tax collectors, give instructions to military personnel to live their lives contrary to what the norm would be. You see, nobody owns John the Baptist. Nobody uh, is corroborating his story. So what his witness is being shared should be understood to be true. Specifically, he is not one of the gospel writers. Uh, if, if he was, maybe it would be John the Baptist tells his story so he can sell his new book. But that's not what happens. Matthew uses John the Baptist because his word is credible. And so what we're going to do this morning 
Uh, we read some of this passage in previous weeks. We're going to read it again uh, as an oversight of where we're going to go. And then ultimately, I'm going to be kind of flying around Scripture this morning, and hopefully you'll be able to keep up. But I want to make sure that the main text that we're working from this morning is clear. So let's do this this morning. Would you stand up with me this morning? I'm reading from Matthew chapter 3. You can put your masks on. If you're at home, we're in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 11 and read through verse 17. This is our primary text for where we're going from Matthew chapter 3 today. Here it comes. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John speaking. But after me comes one who is a more powerful man, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up chaff with an unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that this morning it would be clear, it would be concise, and Lord, be able to strike hearts even in this room this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. There are three questions that we look at this text. And we're going we're to see these. This is where my message is going to go uh, this morning. And there's three questions. If you're just reading across, if you're just reading it right now, three questions you're going to ask. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? That's the first question. And then the other two that we'll cover is why was there a dove? And what was God's voice really saying? So let's do the first one. Why was Jesus baptized? So when Jesus was baptized, uh, he was done so. John says that he was being baptized, or he was baptizing people there with water for repentance. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the idea of walking down the aisle in one way. If you repent 180 degrees, you begin walking in the other direction. Why would Jesus need to be baptized if baptism was about sin? Well, let's look over, turn over a few pages in John chapter 1. I believe John chapter 1, one of the other Gospels, is going to give us the reason why Jesus baptized, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Check this out, verse 21, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. They begin to ask him, this is John the Baptist, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And this quotes this again. John replied from the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had, sent, who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This was all happening at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Why was Jesus baptized? Or why would Jesus need to be baptized? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. About a week ago, there was Yom Kippur, a Jewish holiday. If you've got friends who are practicing Jews, this is a holiday that they practice each year. It is a mistake if you went up to any of your friends who are Jewish and you said, Happy Yom Kippur. That is a mistake because Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, the day that you remember all the sins that you've committed over the last 365 days and come and ask God for and you repent for and ask for the sins of atonement to be had because this day of atonement, these sins have been committed in the last year, there must be something to atone for them. And so in Scripture we see in the Old, the Old Testament that a lamb would be slaughtered on the behalf of a family or the behalf of a tribe or the behalf of God's people. And so when Jesus Christ here is the Lamb of God, he is the sacrificial Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to do what? To take away the sins of, not of the family, not of the tribe, but of the world. Now how is that possible? Well, it gets into the nature of who Jesus Christ really is. Why was Jesus baptized? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Capital L, Lamb of God. He is the one. You see, the nature of God through Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully human. Meaning that he is all that God is, and he is still all that man is. And when there is a required perfect sacrifice, it would have to be, the perfect sacrifice would have to be across this. Meaning, understanding man's ways, and man's humankind, and human nature, and, and living a perfect and sinless life. Fully God, having full power to be able to fight against that, be able to replace that sin with holiness. Fully God, fully human. The theological term for that is the hypostatic union. Not 100% God, excuse me, not 50% God, 50% man, but 100% God and 100% man. I think it's 200%. Something like that. I'm not entirely sure. The idea of it is there is completeness there. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God and would be slain that, as, that the Lamb of God had come to take away the sin of the entire world. Not only the entire world, what well, he walked on the earth at that time, but the entire world for the next year and the next 100 years, the next 1,000 years of all humankind, he was the Lamb of God. Why was Jesus baptized? Because he is the Lamb of God. He was going to humble himself as a man and yet have power enough, have perfection enough by which to atone for the sins of all humanity. He is the perfect sacrifice. Why was Jesus baptized? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Second question, why was there a dove? Why was there a dove? Well, that's because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Let me explain. So if you remember the story of John the Baptist, we, just, we, we talked about it last week of how, his, uh, how Zacharias lost his voice because he, he doubted that, that he would have a son. When his son is born, his name is John. And Zachariah gets his voice back because he says his name is John. And what he does is he goes and he talks and, and gives this blessing for his child, John. And he was going to talk about and prophesy the life that John would live over in Luke chapter 1. 
get your, your head for a moment in a Christmas frame of mind. It's not Christmas, but we need to understand that that story connects to a lot more. Verse 76, and you, my child, this is Zacharias talking about his son, John, you'll be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord, and you'll do what? Prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. You understand that? The idea of heaven uh, coming down to us to shine on those living in darkness and panic and chaos and fear in the shadow of death to guide our feet into what? Circle this. The path of peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of of peace. Again, put your, your, your Christmas mindset on. If this is the second or third week of Christmas, you would hear this verse. You would hear this from Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what? The Prince of Peace. Let's continue. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 20. Again, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is Joseph, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him name Jesus, because he'll do what? He'll save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why was there a dove? Because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us, is a term of perfection, of completeness, that God is perfectly creating peace for us. All the way through the Old Testament, we, we hear this word, uh, this word shalom, or peace, is being carried through all of the Old Testament. It begins when, when God creates the earth, and in seven days it is finished. And each day, at the end of the day, there is shalom, there is peace, because it was good. And what happens here is when, when they will call him Emmanuel, God with us, it is good. There is peace because of that. Joseph, when he is reunited with his brothers there in Egypt, there is shalom because there is peace within the family. When David goes to be able to hear uh, how things are going on the battlefield, and he asks his brothers, is there shalom? Is there peace? And they say, no, there is no peace because Goliath is over there terrorizing us. And so he does something about it. And throughout Scripture, we see this image, uh, this symbol of the dove. We see first with Noah, that Noah has the dove come. So they know that the, the tempest, the, the water that had been crashing and turning and churning for so many days, that there would be peace, that the water would come down. In Moses' time, there is a, the, the dove symbolizes the sacrifice that would be made for, again, the sins that are in each of our lives to be able to make perfect peace. In Solomon's writing, in his wisdom literature, we see particularly through the Song of Solomon talking about his beautiful wife, his beautiful bride, the, his pure bride, the dove, he calls her. And here we see in Christ the divinity, the perfect peace, complete peace, unblemished. You see, shalom is the idea of a stone with no cracks in it or a, a wall with no breaks in it because it's all been perfectly put back together. And all through Scripture, we're seeing this desire for peace, this desire for shalom, but it can't be found. And each time that we find broken pieces in the wall, broken pieces, and now the Prince of Peace has come to put things back together. 
So why is there a dove? Because it symbolizes that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Perfect peace. So why was Jesus baptized? Because he's the Lamb of God. Why was there a dove to symbolize the Prince of Peace? So thirdly, what was God's voice saying? This voice from heaven that tears open the heavens, as Pastor Brian talked about last week. Tears open the heavens so that this voice comes through and speaks that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Turn over a few pages, Matthew chapter 16, because this voice from heaven speaks again. It says something very similar, but you're going to see it in context. So Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, when Jesus, during his ministry, comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he says to the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they reply, Some say you are John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You are the kingly line. Turn over to chapter 17, verse 1, and we see just a few days later, it says here, because of this declaration that has been made, just a few days later, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, or there his glory, God's glory, demonstrated himself and showed himself before him them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Just then appeared before them, guess who? Moses and Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus. So when he asked, he said, some people think that you are Moses. Some people think that you are Elijah, one of the prophets. Nope, it's not them because they're standing here next to me. Peter says to Jesus, he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a cloud covered them, and a voice in the cloud said, so the heavens tear open again, and this is what it said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And then this add-on, listen to him. Skip down a few verses to verse 10, the disciples' response. He said, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him, but have done to him everything that they wished. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And there, then, the disciples understood that he was talking to them to about who? John the Baptist. What was God's voice saying? That Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. This idea of being fully God and fully man meant that he would be the King of Kings. Jesus Christ is the priestly King. He is holy and just. But they were expecting, they thought the Messiah would come and rule like David. They said if he is in the line of David, and Matthew has definitely demonstrated that he is in the line of David, that he would come and he would fight back against Roman opposition and oppression. That he would fight back and he would make sure and demonstrate that he was the king. But this is not what we see in the first century. This is not what we see in the life of Jesus Christ. But when God's voice from heaven tears open the heavens and speaks, he said, this is my son. He's the one that you've been waiting for. Listen to him. So the reality is the beauty of scripture is, is that we don't see it happen here, but we get to fast forward to the end. We get to see how things end in the book 
of Revelation. So what was God saying? That Jesus Christ was the King of Kings? Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open. Verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. Circle that. It's highlighted. It's capitalized. With justice, he judges and he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that nobody knows, but he himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in what? Blood. It's the Lamb of God. And his name is the Word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword as which to strike down the nations. He will rule with them with an iron scepter. So now is his time to rule. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So what's God's voice saying? That Jesus Christ is the King of kings. Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is faithful and true. He is the King who is just and right, perfectly just. So all wrongs are made right. All cheats, all scams are exposed. All crimes are brought to an end. All hatred, racism will cease. It's all brought to an end because he is the king of kings. As I said, it's my mom's birthday. One of the stories, and I told you she's a fighter, one of the stories that my grandfather, the man that I call grandfather, is, uh, my, my grandmother remarried, uh, he tells a story about how my mom helped them break a horse there on the horse farm up on the land, they call it, which is this area up kind of on a plateau above the house. And so uh, the story they talk about was that this horse was unbreakable. Nobody could get this horse. And I don't, I don't know if my mom put on her uh, football helmet and her Minnesota Vikings uh, jersey and went and took on this horse, but she was going to take on this horse. It was a mean horse, a horse by the name of Bugs. That's how the story goes. And so the horse would bite people, it would kick people, and the only way that they were able to break this horse was to take its leg, one of its legs, and tie it up underneath its belly, tie it all the way up underneath its belly, and then she got on the horse and rode back and forth all day long to be able to break the spirit of this horse. That's one of the battles uh, that she won that day. But the reality is, you see, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords fights our battles. There are no more battles all wrongs are made right. All cheats and scams are exposed. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is perfectly just. He brings perfect peace because he is the perfect sacrifice. So this is all well and good. Maybe you've heard some of this before. Maybe you've, you've heard uh, some of these terms before. And actually, so had the people there first century when John the Baptist is sharing these things. These are all terms that they had heard before. But the question is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe this to be true? Because if you do, because the author Matthew is making this argument because he says, he is the one. And if that's true, there are things that we need to follow through on. Specifically, this voice from heaven says, 
This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. And he tells Peter and the other apostles, listen to him. And so continuing in Revelation chapter 21, here's this voice from heaven again. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. Meaning he can be known, wants to be known. They will be his people and God himself will be them and be with them and be their God. Look at the result. He wipes every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. This is the true new normal. Then he said, write this down, document this, for these words are trustworthy. These words are true. And then he said to me, which is John, the author, he says, it is done. I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Do you know Jesus? As the statement goes, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. You see, he is the prince of peace. Perfect peace. Are you a child of God? Do you know Jesus? And so as we look at this text, it is a Sunday that we uh, share together in a time of communion together. That time of communion is an important time where we say, do you know Jesus? Are you part of his family? Are you a child of God? Do you come to the table of communion with an understanding and a belief that he is who he says he is? He is the Lamb of God. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. And therefore, I can come to the table and share in a meal together because what he has done. Don't miss the baptism that happened here. The baptism by immersion, this is why we baptize in this way, to be able to go through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus was symbolizing this for himself. What we have, this time of communion, this, this Lord's Supper table, is Jesus was there just before he would be taken to the cross to die, to be buried, and to raise again to life. This illustration and this remembrance, this time to be able to talk about the beauty, the beauty of the gospel. For I received from you the Lord, while I also passed on to you. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, on the very night he was betrayed, he was going to have this conversation with his disciples, his apostles. And ultimately, the goal at the end, there would be no more panic, there would be no more politics, there would be no more power grabbing, there would be peace through Jesus Christ. But it was going to have to come through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Why? Because he was fully God, fully man, fully able to be able to give that. So this morning, the band is going to sing a song, just a verse of a song called The Beautiful Name. What a beautiful name. In front of you, you have little cups for communion. You can get that out. If you can prepare your heart this morning to be reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made for you and for me as they sing this song, and we'll come back and we'll share communion together.